Now let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah. Get Isaiah chapter 6 and John chapter 12. Isaiah 6 and John 12. Hope you all had a good afternoon. Lord, help us as we study your word tonight. It is exciting to learn these things. Father, I pray that uh, your people are edified by it and that you're glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I do have an announcement. We have a couple of more slots that need to be filled for uh, Nathan and Kayla uh, uh, Arling. I want to say new. Um, Nathan and Kayla Arling. And uh, we, you know, they had their baby this week, and we're bringing them meals. So how do they do it? TakeThemAmeal.com, and the password is Kayla, K-A-Y-L-A, capital K. All right, and the, that capital K is at the beginning. Okay. All right, Isaiah chapter 6. We're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. So let's do a little review from this morning. So this definition of the, of the Jesus principle is the mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. All angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. All satanic hatred and subtlety are centered at Christ. All human hopes are and human occupations should be centered in Christ. The whole material universe in creation is centered in Christ. And the entire written word is centered in Christ. So tonight we're going to begin with all angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. So look at Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, or I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So, we're very familiar. How many of you are familiar with this passage and this, this uh, vision that Isaiah had? And he saw the Lord. And we, we have, I don't know about you all, but I just think he saw God. But we're going to understand what's going on here a little bit more this evening. Above it stood six seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes has seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off of the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin, and thy sin is purged." So this is the vision that Isaiah saw. So let's go to the book of John and let's get some New Testament commentary on this. John chapter 12. Look at verse 37. But though, this is John 12 and verse 37, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. 
that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake. Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. So this is, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, of course, would be the Greek pronunciation of Isaiah. That's why it's spelled a little different in the New Testament. This, this passage right here from Isaiah, it's quoted four times in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? This particular passage is cited four times in the New Testament. That's not the message tonight. I want you to see this next verse. Look at verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. This passage is talking about Jesus. So who did Isaiah see when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? He saw Jesus Christ. The book of John says that Isaiah was seeing Jesus and those angelic beings. Now, remember, seraphim are not angels, but they are angelic beings. They, they belong to that class of spiritual beings. And they were associated with Jesus Christ. And they were there ministering to him and identifying Jesus as holy. So, all angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. Look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, you ought to do a study of Gabriel. Gabriel is always sent with a message to Israel. It's an interesting thing when you study Gabriel. But notice what he's doing. Uh, He came, verse, verse 26 again, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the, Lord, uh, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So here's an angel announcing Jesus Christ. And of course we know that the angel led the wise men to uh, see Christ, and then there's a whole angelic host announcing that Jesus Christ is born. So These angels are announcing his birth and they're ministering to the Lord. And of course, after his temptation, Jesus Christ had angels minister unto him. If you remember, the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ goes into the wilderness and he doesn't eat for 40 days. How many of you might be a little hangry at that point? So Jesus goes into the wilderness, doesn't eat for 40 days. Now remember, he's God, but he is fully man. So in his body, he felt all the same weakness that you would feel if you didn't eat for 40 days and you're out in the desert. And that, at his weakest point physically, that's when Satan came and tempted him. Of course, we know that he answered Satan every time with the word of God. 
He answered him with scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. Teaching us how we are to handle temptation. We handle temptation with scripture. But after Satan departed him, the Bible says that the angels came and ministered to him. The angels came and ministered to him. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that somebody had to make them do that? No, that's why they exist. That's why they exist. It's an amazing thing. And when they saw the way that Jesus was treated on earth, look at how they're going to return. Look at Matthew chapter 25. All angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... Now remember, the return of Christ has two stages. The rapture of the church. People don't see Him at the rapture. The world does not see Jesus at the rapture. When He returns in His glory, that's when He returns to establish His kingdom. But in verse... That that is, of course, seven years after the rapture. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. But notice, all of those holy angels are coming with Jesus, not the building that's down the street. Amen? It's all of those holy angels. Why? Because they exist to minister to Him. They're His. They're created by Him and for Him. They are His, which is why our next point is such a problem. Look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. Look for Jesus. When you're studying the Bible, look for Jesus Christ. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and look at verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When Jesus Christ returns, these angels are coming with him, and they are mighty angels, and they're coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance. Those angels that were announcing his birth, those angels that came and ministered to Jesus Christ after his temptation, when Jesus Christ returns the second time, you know, I was thinking about that this morning, his humility, and he made himself of no reputation. But the thing that Laura and I were talking about this afternoon, you know that he took it back, right? He has his reputation back. Remember when he prayed in John 17, Restore now to me the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he is receiving that glory in heaven, and he will receive that glory on earth. Amen? When Jesus Christ came, they, they smote him. They, they, they beat him. Laura pointed out to me a thought that I, um, that I hadn't had. You know, that, that ram in the thicket that we talked about this morning, whose horns were, were uh, wrapped in, in, or caught in that thicket, that's a picture. You know, a horn in the Bible is a picture of power. And Jesus Christ allowed his power to be removed. Jesus allowed his power to be bound. Jesus allowed those thorns to be beaten into his head, the place of his power. And it's, But that won't happen again. That's why we don't have a crucifix. 
We have a cross. We glory in the cross, but Jesus is not there. He is not there. That, that's not the Christ we worship. We worship the resurrected, ascended, returning Christ. And that's what these angels are doing. You know those angels. Remember what Jesus said? I could call ten legions of angels. If I wanted to fight, the only one would be all that was necessary. And as a matter of fact, he wouldn't need any. But he could have called all of them. But they're the ones who are coming back with him. In flaming fire, taking vengeance. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. So again, this is talking about Jesus Christ who has ascended. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 22. So by the resurrection of Jesus Christ at the end of verse 21, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, look, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. These, all of these angels are subject to Christ. They are subject to him. Um, you know, in Mormonism, uh, Satan and Jesus are angelic brothers. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's a cult, and it's, it's uh, absolute heresy. Now, notice this is one of my favorite parts. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and look at verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, that's God the Father bringing the Son into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now, the, here's why this becomes important. Here's, here's our, so you know that, that the, all angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. Amen? That's what they're created for. That is their purpose. That is what they are to do. Look at this next one. All satanic hatred and subtlety are centered at Christ. He's obsessed. He is obsessed. What did Satan want? Okay, hold your place. If you have your Bible open to Hebrews, put your ribbon there in Hebrews. All right, Hebrews 1. Put your ribbon there. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. I don't know how many of you have read Bible scholars, um, especially more modernist Bible scholars. Um, these are some of the most faithless people you'll ever meet. So look at, let's look at this passage and look at verse 12, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Okay, so let me just ask all of you, how many of you would not consider yourself a Bible scholar? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so let me ask you all, see if you can figure this out. Who is being talked about right here? Satan, Lucifer. Does anybody have any problem with that? Or do you think that's what's happening here? You know, there are Bible scholars that say, well, this is not really Satan. It's not really. Okay. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will, send, I will ascend into heaven. Now, I want you to notice some things. He's going to ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. 
I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation, the sides of the north. What is he wanting to do? He's wanting to take his throne that he had in Eden. He wants to take his throne and exalt it to the same place as God's throne. That's what he wants. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What was the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve? What did he tell Eve? You'll be like gods. Right? Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So what did he want? He wanted to. He wanted his throne to be exalted. He wanted to be like God. Right? So now let's go back to Hebrews. Why is all satanic hatred and subtlety centered in Christ? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I'm sorry, I know I probably say this every time I read this passage. Years ago I read John Phillips' commentary on this. And he said that God had spoken through prophets. God had spoken through, uh, through all of the New Testament writers. But there remained so much more to say. And so he sent his son. Isn't that cool? And I didn't say it nearly as well as John Phillips. But I just love that thought. Verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. What did Satan want? I want to be like the Most High. And don't forget. Okay, we got to look at it. Ezekiel chapter. Keep your place here. Ezekiel 28. Repetition is the key to learning, right? Another place where God talks about Satan, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Look at what it says in verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. The anointed cherub that covereth. Lucifer means light bearer. That's what his name means. His job was to reflect the glory of God throughout the universe as he covered the the throne of God, reflecting God throughout the universe. Back to Hebrews chapter 1. Remember, Lucifer was a light bearer. He was to reflect the glory of God. Verse 3 of of Hebrews chapter 1, who being the brightness of his glory. He didn't have to reflect it. He is it. Who being the brightness. I know y'all are tired, but this is cool. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Why does Satan hate him? Being made so much better than the angels. As he hath by, look, inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He became the heir. Why? Because he was made poor for us. And Satan thought he had won. He thought he had it. He thought he was going to gain it. And he could not. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Remember, they're called sons of God. Angels are called sons of God, they're not, but they're not the only begotten son of God. There's only one. For unto which of the angels said at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten, notice he keeps repeating that, into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. 
And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Look at what it says in verse 13. But unto which of the angels said he at any time, look, sit on my right hand. Until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Satan, he thinks he's going to get up there. And Jesus Christ, after Satan thought he had defeated him, Jesus Christ rose from the dead and ascended not to a throne next to the Father. He's sitting in the Father's throne at his right hand. And this is why Jesus Christ is the focus of all satanic hatred. When you try to figure out what's going on in the Bible, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. We're not going to take the time to go there, but Revelation chapter 12, you have the mother brings forth the child, and and you have Satan just attacking, 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 and that's a battle that goes on but go with me to Genesis chapter Genesis chapter 3 Simon that's at the beginning yeah Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 14 And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we know that this is the announcement that Jesus Christ is going to be born of a virgin. Because in verse 15 it says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So we see two things. Satan has seed, but we also see that a seed of woman is what he's going to be battling, but women don't have seed. So this is the announcement of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. This is also an announcement of war. The war of the seeds. The war where Jesus Christ is going to be at war with Satan. And Satan is declaring war on Christ right here. And we see it all through the scriptures. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Well, actually, but even before Genesis chapter 6, Cain kills Abel. And now they have to have another son, another one for Jesus Christ to come through. But Genesis chapter 6, I know that you all know this, but Genesis chapter 6 Verse 1, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man for he also for for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be numbered and hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, 
and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I was in Cleveland at a pastor's, a large nationwide pastor's meeting, and several of us went out to eat afterwards. Some young pastors were, were just got in a conversation, and somehow this passage came up. And some of these young pastors were asking Dalton Robertson and I about this. And uh, so we started taking them through this passage. And there was a, another pastor there who, typical, what I would call fight and fundy, who really wants to diminish anything supernatural from the Bible. And he said, um, well, I was taught that this is the godly line of Seth intermarrying with the ungodly line of Cain. And so I just asked a couple of questions. I said, number one, where does the Bible ever talk about the godly line of Seth? Where does the Bible ever reference that? Anywhere. I said, and number two, if you're talking about godly people marrying ungodly people, I said, I asked, have you ever had someone in your church that's saved and they get married to somebody that's not saved? And he said, well, yeah, you know, I wouldn't do the wedding, but yeah. I said, and, and their children were giants and God destroyed the world because of it, right? And the old guy said, I don't agree with Jim, but that's why I don't argue with him. <laughs> Just kind of like, well, argue with what? That's, that's what's happening in the text. And, but you would be amazed at how many people will not accept that this is something uh, metaphysical going on. That there's something beyond saved people marrying unsaved people. Obviously, that can't be what's going on. And if we look at the next verse, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made him or made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why is this such a big deal? Notice what he says. He's going to destroy everything. Man, beast, creeping thing, fowls of the air. Because this corruption of the seed corrupted everything. Do you know why Satan did that? We looked at it this morning. Because it was all made for Jesus. It was all made by him and for him. And so what Satan did was he destroyed it at the genetic level. And he does it again. He does it several times in Scripture. It is the battle of the seeds. You say, why would he destroy... Well, let's look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. How was he perfect in his generations? His seed was not corrupted with the sons of God. His line, his lineage was not corrupted. Everybody else was. So he had to wipe everybody else off the face of the earth. And some people say, why would Satan want to... I, we, I understand that he wants to stop that seed of woman from coming. So he's going to destroy that and make sure that, that Jesus can't come because he wants to exalt his throne. I get that. Why the animals? Because all those animals were going to be used as sacrifices for Jesus. To represent his sacrifice, the one true sacrifice. He wanted to make it so there were no clean animals. Everything was unclean. And God took care of that. God took care of it. And so the Bible says in verse, um, in verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. So when's the next time that we see this happen? Children of Israel are going into to take the land and the, the 
the 12 spies go in, 10 were bad, 2 were good, right? You know the song? So why did they not want to fight? Because we are as grasshoppers in their sight. There were giants in the land in those days. And it, it just, just as they're going to take the land, the land that was promised, the land where Jesus Christ is going to sit on his throne, that land, that's where Satan comes. And he's going to attack it. But you know, he made an attack even before then. He made an attack even before then. He wanted to wipe out the children of God. So what did he do? He has Pharaoh kill all the children two years and younger. Wipe out that seed. Wipe it out. Satan hates children. Abortion? Satan hates children. But that's not why he did this. He did this because he's trying to stop the seed. And I just love it that God uses a pagan king's daughter to save him. And then he has, he has the enemy, Moses, raised in the king's house. It's just, but this is all part of that war of the seeds, the war of the seeds. So you have that corruption of Adam's line. You have Abraham's seed. You, Abraham couldn't have children. God does it for him in, in his old age. There's the famine in Genesis 50. The people are, are, are dying. The destruction of the male line in Exodus chapter 1. How about Pharaoh's pursuit? Pharaoh's pursuit. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 14. It's one of my favorite verses. Exodus 14, look at verse 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. What did he do? He fought for them. He won that battle. And as they were crossing the, the Red Sea, then the army came across and was destroyed in the Red Sea. Then the populating of Canaan, we just talked about that. And the, the fight against David's line. <coughs> Sorry, I'm trying not to deafen you. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. And let's look at verse... 42, this is the image, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with, look at what it says, whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, there's a change in the pronouns here. It's no longer it. They shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings, Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed? And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. 
So what we have is this image, and that image, it shows the four great Gentile kingdoms of the world, and it shows how at the end of time that that Roman Empire is going to revive. But in that Roman Empire, as it's revived, they are going to mingle themselves with the seed of men. And what are we going to have? There's going to be giants in the land in those days. It's coming again. It's all going to happen again. That's why I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Satan's not done. Look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 10. So this is talking about a woman needs to have covering on her head. And uh, traditionally, that's why women wear hats in church and things. But this is talking about she needs a husband. She needs to have cover. She needs that power over her. Um, verse 10. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head. Look at this. Because of the angels. Is that a weird phrase or clause? Nathaniel, is that a phrase or a clause? Because of the angels. I like putting English teachers on. Okay. So none of the above. All right. (laughs) Whatever that is. Whatever that is. It's weird. Ladies. Imagine I'm preaching. Ladies. You need to respect the authority of your husband. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And here's why you need to do it. Because of the angels. Would that be weird? Come on. Is it what the text says? Why? Because it's, ha- it's going to happen again. And th- this, the reason that this becomes so important here in 1 Corinthians is because Corinthians is the carnal church. I mean, there's a lot of people in this church at Corinth that were living like the world. And I think there are a lot of people in this church at Corinth that aren't saved. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, you have the Laodicean period. Jesus Christ is speaking to those people as if they are lost. The people in the churches are not born again. And that's where Satan's going to come in with this stuff. I think just as he did it in Eden, just as he did it in the promised land, he is going to do it in the church because Jesus Christ loves the church. And all satanic hatred and subtlety are centered on Christ. Man, every bit of it. And we could spend more time, but just think about Herod killing the children, trying to kill Jesus. He hates God. Satan hates God. And by extension, he hates you. And this entire world system is against you. So you young people, when you go to college, when you go to school, when you go out into the workplace and you want to live for the Lord, and you find out that it's hard. It's hard. Man, I'll never forget my senior year of high school. My parents had moved to uh, Indiana. I was still in New York and uh, living with my brother, who's a year older than I am. So I worked at Kinney Shoe Store, and I'm going to the Christian school. These people found out that I'm a Christian And so we would go to eat, and they would buy alcoholic drinks and put them in front of me. They were doing everything they could to corrupt the preacher's kid, doing everything they could to corrupt the Christian, saying dirty things to me, girls saying dirty things to me. Parents, here's a cool thing. I didn't know what she was talking about. I was innocent. That innocence protected me. Praise God for that. You know that there are Christians that teach against that? Well, they're going to have to learn it sometime. Might as well learn it at home. How many of you have heard a Christian say something like that? 
There's something I want to say to that Christian, but I, I can't in church. Shame on you. The Bible says that, that we're supposed to be innocent of evil. Amen? We're to be innocent of evil. Young people, the world hates you, man. The, the world hates you. The world is not your friend. Don't live to impress that world. Live to impress God. Have God smile on you. So, what have we seen tonight? We've seen the mind of God as eternally centered in Christ. All angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. And all satanic hatred and subtlety are centered in Christ or at Christ. So, when you're reading your Bible, look for Jesus. It's all through it. You'll see the mind of God. You'll see the angels focused on him. And you'll see the, the satanic hatred. Let me say this. that when, when the Bible talks in all those places about the angels that kept not their first estate, and how many of them are bound in chains and darkness, waiting judgment, the Bible says that you and I are going to judge angels. Why? This is a really serious thing. They were created for him. They had a job. They violated that commission. And that's very important to God. That they have one job, to minister to God. When they leave that estate and they follow their own desires, they follow Satan, there's a war. Okay, let's finish it up. Revelation 12. And if you want any more information on this, I'm sure Eric Edwards dealt with all of this in Weird Wednesdays. I'm sure he did a better job than me. Revelation 12, verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her as soon as, as it was born. And she brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there three, uh, a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out of heaven, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. This war, and I'm not, maybe we'll take time and talk about angels at another time. But I want you to get this. How many of you have heard that Satan was cast out of heaven with a third of his angels and that, that these demons are a third of his angels? There's no place in the Bible that says that. And it's not that long ago that I figured this out. I, I, I was, did this happen twice? Because when we're, I was going through prophecy on the, in our Bible study, I really studied out Revelation chapter 12. And I thought, is this the second time that the third of the angels? No. third of the angels haven't been cast down yet. That's going to happen. That hasn't happened yet. How many of you, that's kind of new information for you? Would you raise your hand? Study it out. Check it out in the scriptures. Dig in. Don't just believe me. Check it out. There's no other place where a third of the angels are cast out. These angels that left their first estate, that's not the third of the angels that get cast out. 
It's an interesting thing. Because there's this, there's an infinite number of these spiritual beings. So who are all of these angels? Well, they're not that third. The third that are left are cast out. And that's what's happening. The other thing that is interesting is notice the Bible calls them stars. Calls them stars. You might want to think about that with the star that was over Bethlehem. You might want to think about that. You're saying, is that a devil? Not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. But study it out. Find out, is it a star like the sun? Or is it an angelic being? Because who is it that's announcing the Lord? The angel of the Lord. Who's the angel of the Lord? The Lord. Was the Lord announcing his own birth? Now you have some homework to do. Let's all stand together. Isn't God good to us? It's so good to understand that the mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. All angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. All angelic hatred and subtlety are centered at Christ. Folks, we need to understand if we'll just look for Jesus in all of this. We'll understand our Bible better and we'll certainly understand the world that we're serving in. But the most important thing is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ alone, make sure that you do that. Amen? You might say, Pastor, why do you do that every service? Because I I, I just want to make sure. I never want to preach without somebody having an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And if you've never asked Christ to save you, do it today. Do it today. Let's sing this together.